morning. Great to see so many of you here today. Has everyone had a good, well, if you're, if you're a parent, half term can be, mean two things for you, but uh, has everyone had a good half term? Did everyone have a good bank holiday Monday? Did anyone get the barbecue out last weekend? Missed opportunity, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> You've got to take them when they come along. <laughs> As Ben said, this morning I'm going to be sparing, uh, sharing and speaking. And over the next few weeks, our topic is um, learn love. And I'm going to be unpacking what it looks like for us to learn love within the context of the Great Commission. And we've got it up there behind us, which is very helpful. Thank you for that. And I thought it would be good this morning to start with talking about love. We got anyone in the room who's in love this morning? I'm, I'm glad you got your hand up. All the married people should have their hands up. All parents should have their hands up. Yeah, I think love's an interesting one. I think when, when we look at it from a cultural perspective, I think it's really interesting. Because if you're like me and you enjoy movies, when we watch movies, the picture that we have is this, this love at first sight where someone gazes their eyes upon someone else and instantly falls in love. And I, I like that picture in one sense of you know, having these feelings, these emotions. But then I do question how much substance is there to that. And as someone who's married, I've been on that journey that when I first started dating my girlfriend, Beck, I was like, oh, this is what love is. This is what it is to be in love. And then as time goes on, you get married and that love deepens and it strengthens. You're like, oh, this, this is what love is like. And then in the not so distant past, I became a father. And then I found that love deepened even more to the point where it's like, I would do anything for my child. And that depth of love that we can have. And I think it's so different than sometimes the picture that, that we can just see when we look at our culture and we look at movies and those sorts of things. And this morning I want to talk about a sacrificial love. And this sacrificial love is modeled so well by Jesus. And throughout the Gospels we see Jesus modeling this sacrificial love that I think each and every one of us can learn from. And I thought it was apt sort of following the week of Easter, that we would look at some of the key events surrounding the Easter story and specifically the time after Jesus was crucified. And up here on the screen, I've got an account from John 19. And this is where Jesus is literally hanging on the cross. Jesus is going through one of the most difficult moments of his life. And what does he do in that moment? We see that he looks to his mother who is there at the foot of the cross and I'll read this out. He says, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And in literally Jesus' dying moments, he is giving of himself sacrificially to make sure that his mother's looked after and making sure that his disciples are looked after. And I think we can learn so much from Jesus and this sacrificial love that he models to us. Because I think if we all love sacrificially, our world would look a very different place. 
And as I said, today I want to unpack uh, the Great Commission and want to talk about what that is. And for those of you that may be new to church or are unfamiliar to what the Great Commission is, it's simply the instruction that we are given by Jesus to share the good news of salvation to our world. And has anyone, as again, I keep going back to this, if, any, if you like me and you like movies, anyone seen one of those movies where at the beginning of the movie, they show a snapshot of the end of the movie? Does anyone, does anyone like that? Does someone sometimes watch that and think, what on earth is going on? Where it just like jumps straight into it. Well, I want to do that this morning. I want to read a scripture for us that's at the end of the story. And then we're going to jump back to the beginning and we're going to lead up to that point. And it's from Acts 1 verse 1 to 8. And this is where we read the Great Commission. And I'm going to read this out to you in its entirety. And it says, in my first book, I told you, we'll call him Theo this morning, Theopolitus. Theo, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? If we can have that next slide. Thank you. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. And this is, this is the key part now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that is the Great Commission. And this is the commission that Jesus gives, gives us. And we're going to unpack this some more this morning. But there's two things I want to highlight from that scripture for us first of all this morning. First of all, it tells us that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. That's the first thing I wanted to highlight. And the second thing I wanted to highlight is it also says that we are called to be witnesses telling Jesus wherever we go, telling about Jesus wherever we go in the world. And he talks about Judea and Samaria and Hanley and Bentley and wherever we are in Stoke. And, and this is what the Great Commission is. And for us, it's about us being witnesses and testifying about what Jesus has done through his word, but also through what he's done in our lives. And like in a courtroom, if for those of you who have ever been in court, depending on which side, um, you may you may have been asked to give evidence. And what I really like about this word witness is when you look at that and you look at what that word to witness means, it can also mean to demonstrate 
which I really like when we start thinking about the Great Commission, that in order to be a witness, we can demonstrate what we read about in the Bible and what we've seen ourselves. We can demonstrate the power of God. How incredible is that? I think it's absolutely mind-blowing. And for us this morning to unpack the Great Commission, we need to unpack the why behind it of, yes, we're told to go and share about Jesus, but why is it that we should do that? And to break it down very quickly, it's because of the Father's love. It is God's heart and God's desire that none should be separate from him. And in Luke 14, we see this great parable that Jesus tells. And it's of a master who throws a great banquet. Is anyone here like a good banquet? All you can eat Chinese. I think that's the closest thing that we've got in the 21st century to what Jesus is about. And we see here that a master throws this great banquet. And before the banquet, invitations go out to everybody to come along to the banquet. And we see in there that that people give all sorts of different excuses of why they can't come to the banquet. One says, I've just bought a field. Another says, I've just got some oxen. And we see these different excuses that are given. But this parable, I believe, is a picture of what it is to be in a relationship with Jesus, but also a picture, I believe, of what it will be like one day when we get to go to heaven. That it is going to be this amazing place, almost like a party, almost like a banquet, where we can go and we can be in God's presence. And this invitation that we see in this banquet, it goes out far and wide. And it goes out to everybody who was invited, and we see that People give their excuses as to why they can't come to the banquet. So the master does something really interesting. He then says to his servant, right, okay, so those people aren't going to come. Who else can we invite? And he goes and he sends his servants out. He says, go out into the countryside. Go out into the lanes. Go out into the cities and find whoever you can and invite them along to the banquet. And I think this is an incredible picture for us of what it can look like in the Great Commission. That we too, just as the servants, are called to go out and we're called to invite people to be a part of the banquet. And we're invited to introduce people to Jesus. And the why behind doing this is, I believe, as I said, that this is a picture for us while we're here on earth, but I believe this is a picture of heaven as well. And at the end of this scripture, it goes on to say, for none of those that I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. And we have this opportunity to introduce the people, people to Jesus here on earth. Because I do believe that when we die, there is a consequence of the decisions we make here on earth that on the other side of eternity we're either going to go and spend it all of eternity in heaven with God and with Jesus in paradise or there is going to be a consequence of not choosing him and the bible talks about hell and it's a huge huge subject but there is a consequence of us not choosing to follow Jesus. And I believe that we have an opportunity to spend eternity with God. And this is this incredible picture that we have. 
And the amazing thing is, is that we have the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus here on earth now. That there are people who are living in circumstances right now that you could describe that people are living in hell here on earth. That because people are separate from God and disconnected from God, that they are going through situations in life and difficulties where you could describe it as hell. And we have the incredible good news to introduce people to Jesus here on earth. We can introduce people to the banquet here on earth and introduce them to the goodness of God. And that is the good news that we carry. And it should be a motivator for us to want to share that love of the Father. That we can come and introduce people into this incredible relationship that we have with Jesus. And what's interesting about this parable is it says that not everyone will respond. That not everyone is going to want to respond to the invitation of Jesus. And we we see that throughout the Gospels. We saw it when Jesus was here on the earth, that people chose to reject him. And it's not our job to try and force people to follow Jesus. But all it is, is to make that introduction. And it's ultimately down to people whether they want to choose to accept Jesus or not. And what I love about Jesus is that it's really simple. That he doesn't overcomplicate what it is to come to him. And we see when Jesus is on the cross and we read those accounts, it says that either side of him were two thieves. And we see that one of those thieves recognizes who Jesus is. He recognizes that he is the son of God. And in that moment, through a conversation with Jesus, he says, you really are who you say you are. And I am paraphrasing here. But in that moment, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And it only takes a moment for someone to believe and accept in faith to respond to Jesus. That's all it takes is faith. And we have this incredible opportunity to go and introduce people to Jesus. And I'm aware I've said introduce a lot this morning, so we'll, we'll move on. But as I said, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the Easter story, but specifically what happened after Jesus was crucified on the cross. We quite often focus on sort of the, you know, from, um, from Good Friday through the weekend to the crucifixion, but I want to focus on what happened from Jesus being crucified to them, him being resurrected and ascending back into heaven. And I've got a, a timeline up here on the screen for you. And I think it's quite apt the week after Christmas to be uh, Christmas, uh, the week after Easter, a <laughs> year went quick, uh, to be looking at this. And I appreciate you might not be able to read all of that, but I'm going to throw this up periodically because I want to show some of the accounts where we see the resurrected Jesus. And it takes place over 40 days where Jesus has various different appearances. And we can learn a number of different lessons from the disciples this morning. And we see that he appears nine different times at at various points throughout those 40 days. And the first one is in Matthew 28, verse 5 to 10. And we see that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary have gone to the tomb to see where Jesus has been buried. 
and when they get there, it talks about there being a violent earthquake, and the, the stone is rolled away. And I love this. It says that there's an angel there, and the angel says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And the angel goes on to say, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So Mary and Mary get very excited about this, as you would. I don't know the last time that you saw an angel, but it's been a little while for me. And I know had I seen an angel sat on the, uh, the tomb, I would get pretty excited myself. And we see it says, and it goes on to say in verse 21, um, sorry, not in verse 21, goes on to say in verses 8 that the women hurried away from the tomb and it says, afraid yet filled with joy, they ran to tell his disciples. And this is what's really interesting. This is a bizarre scripture because we see the angels appeared to Mary and Mary and told them to go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee. But then we also see that Jesus also appears. And Jesus says a very similar thing. It says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. He came to them. uh, Sorry, they came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So, two instruction or one instruction from two different people from an angel and from jesus go to galilee what do we think the disciples should do go to galilee it's pretty straightforward do the disciples do that that's what we're going to find out this morning and we pick it up in matthew 28 and we've had this amazing account and the first lesson for us this morning is to go The disciples have been instructed by Jesus to go. And in a similar way, we've been instructed by Jesus in the Great Commission to go. There are some overlaps and similarities this morning. And in John chapter 20, we pick up that the disciples are in Jerusalem. And if we go back to our timeline, this is one of the first sort of appearances that we see for Jesus up here, roughly around a, a week 11 days after Jesus has been crucified, he appears to the disciples. And this is what we pick up where they are in Jerusalem. And he says this to them. So on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them saying, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And we read there that the disciples have locked themselves away, fearful of the Jewish leaders. And this is a a genuine response to what has just taken place. Jesus has just been crucified, and the disciples are fearful for their lives. I know I most likely would be exactly the same in this situation. But we know that Jesus has given them an instruction. He's told them to go to Galilee. And what's interesting here is what 
Jerusalem represents. You see, in Jerusalem, that's where the temple was. And for those of you that know your Old Testament, you'll know that in the Old Testament that the presence of God would reside in the temple. And the disciples would have spent time with Jesus in the temple. And I think it's quite symbolic of being in, in Jerusalem, of being symbolic and a symbol of strength and a symbol of power, but also a symbol of being in the presence of God. And what we read here is that when Jesus appears to them, he does something really interesting. It says that he breathed on them. And in breathing on them, he says, and I'll make sure I get this right, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I think we can learn something from this as a church. You see, we come together every single week as a church. And it's, actually, it's absolutely awesome that we seek God together. It's such a good thing. However, for us as a church, we're not supposed to just stay here in these four walls. As incredible as it is when we come together and we get to experience the presence of God, this is not where we're supposed to stay. But actually, as we've read in the Great Commission, we're called to go out. We're called to be sent out as witnesses of who Jesus is that we carry that good news. And if all we ever do is express ourselves and express our faith in this room, we've got an issue. And we need to be going out filled with the power and the presence of God. And as soon as we go out of this room, as many of us know, we go from being a majority to becoming a minority that when we go out into the world, that quite often we're surrounded by people who maybe don't have the same beliefs of us, who don't have the same outlook on life as we would, but we're called to go out and to be a witness and to stand out and to be different. So my first point for us this morning, it's so important that we go, but we go filled with the presence of God. The second lesson that we can learn from the disciples this morning is this, to keep the main thing the main thing. And I'm going to explain what I mean by this because I appreciate it. It's pretty vague. But if we go back to our timeline, we see the next time that, that Jesus appears to the disciples is they have eventually left Jerusalem. And they're actually now in Galilee and they return to the Sea of Galilee and they go and they do some fishing. And for some of the disciples, they were fishermen by trade. It's what they knew. It's what they did. And we see in the account in John 20 that they go out. Sorry, I keep getting my scriptures wrong. John 21. They go out and start fishing. And it says they fish all night and they don't catch anything. And Jesus miraculously again appears to them from the shore. And he says, throw your net the other side of the boat. And as they do that, something miraculous takes place. We read that the nets are filled and they catch all of these fish. And I think it's really interesting reading this in that, again, we have many similarities that the disciples, they were trade fishermen. They were going back and doing what they knew how to do. And for us, we each have our own lives that we all have responsibilities. We all have families. We all maybe have jobs and, and different things that fill our lives. And it's really important that in the fullness of our lives and maybe the busyness of our lives, 
that we don't forget to keep the main thing the main thing. You see, even though we have these different things that make up our lives, they are a part of it, but they're not the sole focus. You see, we've been called and we've been commissioned for a mission, that actually we've been sent out with a purpose, that when we go out into our lives, when we go out into our jobs, that we're not just doing it to earn an income. Yes, that is the, the, the primary reason of why we do those things. But actually, while we're there, we can do something miraculous. And what I love about Jesus is he meets them in an everyday situation. He meets them when they're out fishing. And by adding Jesus into the mix, something supernatural takes place. And I believe that when we add Jesus into our lives, when we add Jesus into the mix, that actually something supernatural can take place. That he comes into our normal, everyday, natural lives and can transform it in a moment into the supernatural. And I love this story. And we go on in John 21 where Jesus then starts talking to Simon Peter. And he, he asks him three times, do you love me? Remember this morning, we're talking about love. And he asks, do you love me? And he asks that question. We've got it up here. And eventually, after saying it three times, Jesus ends with, then take care of my sheep. And... There's a real challenge in there, I think, for each of us that within everything that goes on in our lives, that we keep the kingdom of God at the forefront of our minds and that we keep the will of God in the forefront of our minds. Now, what do I mean by that? We each have our own individual lives, but at the same time, I believe God has a plan for us. That he has a will for our lives and we can outwork that will through our lives and I think it's really good that we've got our, our 10 days of prayer and fasting coming up because there's nothing like a reset that prayer and fasting can bring that just takes us back to basics, that almost strips everything away and brings us back to that place of well, what is the main thing? What is the main thing in my life? And for me, I want it to be seeking God. I want that to be above all else. I don't want to be distracted by everything else that goes on in life. Now, yes, don't get me wrong, some of those things are good and it's good to have things in our lives, but I want to keep God above it all. And that's what I want to encourage you this morning, to keep the main thing, the main thing, that no matter what you're doing, how you're spending your lives, that actually we do it with Jesus' commission at the forefront of our mind, that no matter where we go, we're taking the good news of Jesus with us, that we are being that witness. And the third and final lesson that I want to highlight this morning that we read is this, keep the faith. And if we go back to our timeline, we see that, that Jesus appears finally to the disciples and number eight there where he meets on the mountain and this is where we read some of that great commission again we're finally getting back to the stage and back to the point of the story and it says then the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain where jesus had told them to go and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and I just want to stop there for a moment because 
I think that's so important and so real and so raw of the Bible to say that even though Jesus had done all of these miracles, even though Jesus had appeared in supernatural resurrection form, that it says, but some still doubted. We're talking about the disciples here who'd spent three years walking with Jesus, and yet some still doubted. And I just wanted to just stop and highlight there and say, it's possible to walk with Jesus and still have doubts. And that in one sense is, is okay in the sense that we can have those feelings, we can have those emotions. But I believe Jesus wants to do something about that. And Jesus wants to meet us in our doubt. You see, even though we can doubt, Jesus still appeared in this moment. And he said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I love this last bit. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus meets us in our doubt. That even though we might be having those feelings, we might be having those thoughts, Jesus can meet us there in them. And I wanted to just spend a moment to just think about, well, what is it that causes us to doubt? And what is it in our lives that can stop us from sharing the faith and sharing the good news that we have in Jesus? And there are so many things that can stop us, and we've not got time to list them all, but it could be that it's just a lack of confidence, that it's a, a lack of confidence in the belief that we have in Jesus. It, it could be a fear of what others might think of us. It could be a fear of rejection and what other people might do if we open up and we share about the good news that we have. But no matter what doubts we might have, no matter what fears we might have, they can be overcome. And there's a number of things that we can do to help us have that sacrificial love that Jesus has. And I think the first thing is that we can ask God for help. It's okay to ask God for help. And we can ask him to equip us and to fill us with his power. And I'm by no means an expert. I'm by no means the finished article on this. And I know for myself that on a daily basis, I have to ask God for help. And I have to ask him, God, would you fill me anew? Would you fill me afresh today with your power? And once we've do, done that, the next thing that we can start doing it's taking the focus off ourselves and start praying for those that are in our world. And one of the things that we can do over the next 10 days of prayer and fasting, but beyond that, is to begin regularly praying for our families. Be praying for our friends. Be praying for our co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors, and praying that they would come to know Jesus. Because I believe it's through the power of Holy Spirit that people's hearts can be softened, that people can be awakened to God. And it's praying and asking God for those opportunities, those precise moments when we can share. We'd have the opportunity to lead people to Jesus. And... I want to encourage you to put things in place in your life to help enable this, to be intentional with keeping yourself filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And it's good, as we said, that when we come together and when we praise God, that that is a part of it. But it doesn't just happen here in this room. It happens at home as well. It happens when we're out there in the world. And it's about on that almost daily basis of asking God, would you fill me afresh? And if you are sat here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I do lack confidence when it comes to sharing my faith. I want to encourage you, I know out on the cafe, we've got Andy Elms' book out there, Soul Winners. And some of you, I'm sure, will have read that book. Many of you have been, have been on his boot camp course. But I want to encourage you that even, even after everything I've said, you've still got those doubts in your mind. Go and read that and equip yourself with the tools that you need to be able to share your faith. So that's my third and final lesson for us, to keep the faith. And I want to read one final scripture. And as I do that, I'm just going to invite the band to come up and to, to come and get ready. And they're going to start pray, uh, playing for us. But as I said, I wanted to jump back like it does in any good movie of starting at the end and going back to the beginning. when this Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we saw in our timeline, when Jesus read that, they were on a mountain. And Jesus would have been there with his disciples. And it's quite likely that when they were there on that mountain, that they would have been able to see those surrounding areas. And I want to just encourage you now in, in this moment to just think about where is your Jerusalem? Where is your Judea? Who is your Samaria? Who and what and where is it that your life takes you? That each and every individual one of us have our own lives and people that we interact with. Who is it that this week when you leave these four walls, who is it that you're going to interact with? And I want to encourage you over these next 10 days of prayer and fasting to keep those people in mind and be praying and asking for opportunities to share about the good news and to share about what it is that Jesus has done in your life. And what's going to happen now, I'm going to hand over to the band and we're just going to begin worshipping. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to give us that opportunity to just ask Holy Spirit to come and to fill us afresh and to fill us anew today. And if you are sat here this morning and have never felt like you've been filled with the power of Holy Spirit, I'm going to give the opportunity to pray and to ask. And just as Jesus did, that... Jesus would breathe over us this morning. The Holy Spirit would come in his power. He's already here, but we would be aware of his presence this morning.